إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so we've begun this book, Nawaqidul Islam, the nullifiers of Islam. We've done the introduction to it. And we began talking about the first action that can nullify the Islam of a person. And that is the action of shirk itself. Because Allah mentioned in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ But Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk alongside Him. But He forgives all else to whom He wills. So now then, we also mentioned that shirk is of two types. There is the minor shirk, and there is the major shirk. The major shirk is the type that exits a person from the fold of Al-Islam. The minor type does not. The minor type does not necessitate a person has exited from the fold of Islam. So there is a difference with those also. Now the shaykh, he gives some examples of types of actions that can be considered as major shirk. Some examples of actual actions that can be considered as shirk. The first example that he gives, وَمِنْهُ أَذَّبْحُ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ كَمَنْ يَذْبَحُ لِلْجِنِّ أَوْ لِلْقَبْرِ Slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This example has been mentioned by a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab in this book because the example of slaughtering for other than Allah is something which exists. People, they do that. They slaughter for the graves. They slaughter for these pious people who they believe are awliya of Allah. So slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah, then that is an act of shirk. Slaughtering for the jinn. Slaughtering for the deceased in their grave. So that is something يَتَسَاهَلُ النَّاسُ the people are very slack when it comes to this issue. They do slaughter for other than the sake of Allah. يَذْبَحُونَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ يَذْبَحُونَ لِلْجِنِّ إِتِّقَاءً لِشَرِّهِمْ They slaughter for the jinn to keep the jinn happy so that they will not get any harm from the jinn. In some places in the world they do that. They slaughter in the name of the jinn for the jinn. That slaughtering is a sacrifice for the jinn to keep them happy so the jinn will not do any harm to them. 
Some people they do that and this is completely haram to do. وَيَذْبَحُونَ لَهُمْ مِنْ أَجْلِ الْعِلَاجِ وَالشِّفَاءِ وَيَتَسَاهَلُ النَّاسِ فِي هَذَا وَهُوَ كَثِيرٌ الْوُقُوعُ مَعَ أَنَّهُ شِرْكٌ أَكْبَرُ يُخْرِجُ مِنَ الْمِلَّةِ So this action of slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah, slaughtering for the jinn, slaughtering for the dead in the grave, that is an action of major shirk that exits a person from the fold of Islam, but yet so many people do it. They do this action of slaughtering in the name of the jinn and for the jinn, slaughtering in the name of the grave and for the grave. So that is something severe. وَمَا هُوَ سَهْلْ يَقُولُ لَهُ الشَّيْطَانِ The shaytan comes and whispers to the people, إِذْبَحْ خُرُوفًا إِذْبَحْ دَجَاجَةً هَذَا سَهْلْ The shaytan comes and whispers to a person, slaughter a sheep, slaughter a chicken, for the sake of the jinn, for the sake of the grave, the person in there. The shaytan comes and whispers this to the person, and it's easy to go and slaughter a chicken for the deceased or the jinn or a sheep. And so the people do not look at this affair and how severe it is, that slaughtering is an act of worship. It is not done in the name of the jinn for the jinn to protect yourself from them. It is not done in the name of the dead in the grave for their sake. Slaughtering is an act of worship done in the name of Allah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالَّذِي ذَبَحَ ذُبَابًا دَخَلَ النَّارِ لَيْسَ النَّظَرْ إِلَى الْمَذْبُوحِ وَإِنَّمَا النَّظَرْ إِلَى الْعَقِيدَةِ some of the scholars, they mention a narration, and it is differed over whether the narration is authentic or not, but they mention a narration about two men who were traveling. And on their journey home, their route, this particular pathway through mountains and valleys, this particular route of theirs, it passed through a particular village. So the only way to get across, to get home, was to follow the route, and the route passed through this particular village at one point. So when they got to this particular village following their route home, the villagers, they said to them that, we have a rule here in this village, that anybody who wants to pass through on this path, and it was a particular path that happened to be the only one, and it went through their village. They said, anybody who crosses through our path here, then they must slaughter something for our gods. Slaughter something for our gods, whatever, anything. Just do some slaughtering for our gods and you're free to carry on. That's what they said to the two men. One of the men said, مَا كُنْتُ لِأَذْبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ I will never slaughter anything for other than Allah. I will not slaughter anything for other than Allah. So that one, they didn't let him pass. In fact, they killed him. The other one, they said to him, just slaughter anything for our gods, even if it's just a fly. Even if it's just a fly. Slaughter a fly in the name of our gods for our gods, and you can go. So that man, thinking a fly... 
What's the big deal? A fly. He slaughtered the fly. Slaughtered a fly for the sake of their gods and they let him pass. In the narration it mentions the first man enters paradise. The second one enters hellfire. Because of a fly that he slaughtered in the name of other than Allah for the sake of these gods of theirs. So slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah, no matter what it is, even if it is something as minor as a fly as that narration mentions, then it is still shirk, because you are now slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالنَّظَرْ إِلَىٰ عَدَمِ الْمُبَالَاهِ بِالشِّرْكِ لَيْسَ النَّظَرْ إِلَىٰ قِيمَةِ الْمَذْبُوحِ so this indicates that the person who slaughtered even just a fly for other than the sake of Allah will enter the hellfire as that narration mentions. So this is one of the acts that comes under this first category that exits a person from the fold of Islam, that is shirk. One of the subcategories of shirk is the act of slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. Another act of shirk that comes under this first category we're discussing, which is the category of shirk. Another thing which comes under that category is, مَنْ جَعَلَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَسَائِطِ يَدْعُوهُمْ وَيَسْأَلُهُمْ وَيَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَيْهِمْ كَفَرَ إِجْمَعًا Somebody who takes intermediaries between himself and Allah. And he calls upon these intermediaries, makes dua to the intermediaries, puts his trust into these intermediaries, into these wasail as they say, wasail. A person who has these intercessors, intermediaries, which is often dead people in the grave, they say these dead people in the grave were pious, pious people, awliya of Allah. We are such sinners, you and me. We cannot make dua to Allah. Allah will not accept our dua. We need to go to these great awliya of Allah, ask them to ask Allah for us. That's what they say. We need to ask them, the great awliya in this grave, in that grave, Make dua to them about yourself and they will ask Allah for you to have your dua. So they take these intermediaries, these intercessors, these middlemen in their dua. And that is in of itself an act of shirk. That is in fact the exact shirk that the mushrikun used to do at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The mushrikun at the time of the Prophet ﷺ used to make this exact same type of shirk, having intermediaries and intercessors, their other gods and idols and deities that they used to call upon. And they used to say, Allah. These are our intermediaries between us and Allah. And they used to say, مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ زُلْفَى We don't worship them except that they bring us closer to Allah. 
They are our intermediaries, our intercessors. They bring us closer to Allah. They get our dua to Allah. That was shirk. And that is exactly the same type that people they fall into now. فَهَذَا نَوْعٌ مِنَ النَّاقِذِ الْأَوَّلِ وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَجْعَلُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَسَائِطٌ لكن الشيخ أفرده وجعله نوعا مستقلا لكثرة وقوعه. So here the sheikh, he made this particular act of shirk, which is the act of calling upon others, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making dua to others, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking intermediaries alongside intercessors with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is all shirk. So technically it is a subcategory of the first, number one, which was shirk. But in the book, the shaykh has numbered this as number two. So the number one action which is a nullifier of Islam is shirk. Number two action is taking intermediaries and intercessors and making dua to others besides Allah, which is all actually the same as shirk. But here the shaykh made it a separate category by itself. Why? When really it's a subcategory of number one. Because of how dangerous this category is and how widespread it is. It is so widespread. People making dua to the graves. People making dua to the dead, saying these are awliya and pious and this and that. Making dua to others besides Allah, saying they will take our dua to Allah. It is so widespread and common throughout the world that the shaykh, he made it a specific category to focus on. We mentioned before about the grave of the Prophet wasallam. There was an individual once, he went to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, and he posted a note into the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Where that grave is, as you know, it's all walled off, sectioned off, it's not, there's no access to it, into it, it's all sectioned off. One side of it, it isn't brick wall though, it is like that cage type of thing. So you can throw things through it. That side, somebody went and threw a letter in once. One of the security guards at the end of the day when they're tidying up, they noticed somebody had thrown this letter in there. So they picked up the letter, opened it up. On the letter at the top, there was a passport size photograph of a man. Next to it was his mini-biography. My name is X, Y, and Z. I'm this many years old, whatever, etc. Just a small description about himself and his picture. Underneath, a picture of his wife. Photograph of his wife. Her name and small description about her. Underneath, another two or three photographs of his kids. Small description of their names, etc. Then at the bottom, he says, Ya Rasulullah, this is my family as you can see. We are in need, Ya Rasulullah. 
we have some problems financially, X, Y, and Z. This is my family, you can see, we're in need, my children. Oh, Messenger of Allah, please help, and this and that and the other. Folded it up and threw it into the grave of the Prophet Posting a letter with photographs of his family, passport photographs, names and everything. At the bottom, O Messenger of Allah, we need help, we need this, we need that. Post a letter into the grave. They think this is how the dua is answered. They think this is how you make dua to Allah. Go and take photographs and post them and glue them onto a paper and write a biography and post it. This is the level of ignorance which exists amongst the Muslims in the Ummah. So that is what one of the security guards, he said that's what he found at the end of one particular day. Other stories they mentioned as well. On one occasion, the same security guard, who used to be one of our teachers, he said that one day he was there and somebody came. You know, the small bottles of fragrance to get for the men, the musk, the atar. Those fragrance bottles, some big, some small. You put them on your clothes and your beard, etc. for the men. Those small bottles, when you go to Saudi Arabia, you buy them. They normally have a big bottle and they fill up the small ones for you, huh? They get the, you tell them which one you want, they get the big bottle and they fill up those small ones and they sell you the small ones. The big bottle, the security guard said one day somebody came with one of the full big bottles of fragrance. Imagine the smell of that. When you have a full big bottle. Came with a full big bottle one day of the fragrance, the musk, the atar. To show his love for the messenger of Allah and to make dua and whatever he wanted to do. Came with a full bottle. And obviously that is something good, nice smell. Came with a full bottle, opened it up. Started throwing it onto the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Oh Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah. Throwing that all that fragrance onto the grave in through that cage section where it can go through. The security guard, he said, it got all over our clothes everywhere in front of on the people who were there. And that much, if it goes onto your clothes for the rest of your life, the garment will smell good. He said it went everywhere, throwing it, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah. This is what the people, they do. Once I was there myself, in the Hajj time, in the Umrah time, this old lady came, maybe 80 years old. Old lady came, she wanted to wipe the walls next to where the grave of the Prophet ﷺ is. She wanted to wipe the walls. So we told her, we were standing there, some students who were there from our classmates, everybody, making sure people don't do this type of thing. She came, she wanted to wipe the walls. We advised her, it's not sunnah, it's not something in the religion for you to come and wipe the walls of the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ. There is no barakah for that. There is no blessing in that. There is no reward in that. It is actually bid'ah and it can be shirk. So don't wipe the walls. She was old woman. She had been taught all of her life upon the misguidance of her community and who taught her that you'll get barakah if you go and wipe the walls next to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. You'll get blessings if you wipe the walls. Just wipe them when you're there, when you go to Umrah. Maybe that was her first time she came. 80 years old, old woman. Maybe all her life she's been thinking about this and she's been told. When you get there, make sure you wipe the walls next to the grave. You'll get blessings for the rest of your life and your children and everything. So she wanted to wipe. And we explained you cannot and we didn't let her. And she started crying and crying and she wants to wipe the walls. Because of the false aqidah which is spread amongst the Muslim ummah. This is the problem in the ummah, lack of knowledge. 
no knowledge, no studying the religion properly. They think people when they go there, you need to wipe the walls. Even the Kaaba, even the Kaaba, it is sunnah to touch the Yemeni corner. It is sunnah to touch the black stone. It is sunnah also to touch Hmm? What's the third thing which is sunnah to touch? Multazam, what is that? So you've seen the Kaaba, there's the door. Back corner next to the door is where the black stone is. There's a small gap there. The corner of the black stone, a little bit further ahead is the actual door on that side. That space between the black stone and the door it is sunnah to go and touch that. It's sunnah to go and touch that. Put your body against it, touch that. That part is sunnah. Black stone, sunnah. Yemeni corner, sunnah. Besides that, no sunnah to touch and wipe any other side of the Kaaba. People think on the black stone side it's crowded. Yemeni corner crowded. When they get round to the other sides, there's no stones there to touch, no corner there to touch, so it's a bit more free. So what do they do on the other sides? Everybody coming, they want to touch the cloth of the Kaaba, wipe on their clothes. Baraka. No baraka like that. There is no blessing in that. Who has told you there is blessing for that? People even more than that, what do they do? They take a pair of scissors with them. This is absolutely true. They go round to the other sides of the Kaaba, the black cloth, take a small section home with you. Baraka, I have the cloth of the Kaaba. Put it inside the frame, secure on the wall, the cloth of the Kaaba. And they put it in the house. Baraka. No Baraka. This is stealing, thief. You've stolen from the, from the, you've not stolen from your grocery shop or anywhere, you have stolen from the Kaaba. You have stolen from the cloth of the Kaaba. But they think Baraka, Baraka. Cut it off and they take it. So this is the misguidance of the people in Aqidah. Never studying the right Aqidah. Never studying these things about Tawheed and Shirk. Never studying Sunnah. Never studying the Hadith and knowing what Bid'ah is. So many things we can tell you about Umrah when they go. So many things which are Bid'ah and they think they are Sunnah. When they finish the Umrah or the Tawaf. When they finish the Tawaf. After you finish the Tawaf then you're supposed to do what? You drink some zamzam, you pray the two raka'at behind Maqami Ibrahim, and then you go and do your sa'i. When they finish all of the tawaf and everything, and they want to go and do the sa'i, some of the people, they believe that it is haram to turn your back to the Kaaba. They think it is haram to do that. Disrespect, haram. So they have to walk out. Backwards. Which sunnah, which hadith, which ayah in the Quran told you to do this? Did the Prophet ﷺ do that? Did the Sahaba do that? They had greater respect for the Kaaba and this religion and love for it than you. They never did anything like that. In fact, there are even narrations the Prophet ﷺ used to be sitting, leaning against the Kaaba, his back on the Kaaba. His back on the Kaaba, leaning on the Kaaba. But now you cannot show the back, you have to walk backwards. You're going to cause problems for everybody, fall down, this, that, the other. All because of ignorance and not knowing the religion. When they do the sa'i, 
One time I saw it with my own eyes. A man, he was maybe 56 years, maybe 40 years old. A man, he was about 40 years old. He had an old woman with him, probably his mother. And she was maybe 80, 70, 80, old woman. She was very old, even when she was walking, she was like a little bit bent with her back. Old woman walking, 70, 80 years old. When you're doing the sa'i, in the green parts, you're supposed to run. It is sunnah to run. Is it sunnah to run for the women and the elderly, etc.? But this man didn't know. Jahl again, ignorance, never studied the religion. So when he got to the green parts, him and his mother, he's got his mother, he's making his old mother, and she can't even walk straight as well. She was like, back was slightly bent. He's making her, holding her hand and dragging her, making her run in the green parts. 80-year-old woman. Ignorance. Maybe going to kill her doing that. So this is all the problem with a lack of knowledge of the religion. The one who does not study the religion, does not gain knowledge of Quran and Sunnah, you're going to end up doing things in your life that are completely nothing to do with the Sunnah. No one has told you to do that. You're making burden upon yourself. You're doing things which are haram, bid'ah, shirk, all types of things. Things that you should not be doing that are in opposition to the religion. But because of a lack of knowledge, you've never studied. You've never put time aside to learn the Quran and the Sunnah. So, here then, we came to this second action which nullifies the Islam of a person, and it is to make intermediaries between yourself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to call upon these intermediaries. Make dua to these intermediaries. Have trust in these intermediaries. وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَجْعَلُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَصَائِطْ لَكِنَّ الشَّيْخَ فَرَادَهُ جَعَلَوْ نَاعًا مُسْتَقِلًّا لِكَثْرَةِ وَقُوعِهِ لأن هذا يقع من من يدعون الإسلام وهذا كثير عند القبوريين يتقربون إلى الولي ليشفع لهم عند الله So this is a common practice amongst the grave worshippers. They go to these deceased people asking them to make a, a, a intercession for them between themselves and Allah. And they will say to you, this isn't shirk. Those who go to the graves and they call upon the dead in the graves, they'll say, we're not doing shirk because we're only asking them to take our dua to Allah. So our dua is for Allah. We're not making dua to them. We're just asking them, pious people, awliya of Allah, you intercede for us, take our dua to Allah, put in words for us. So they say, we're not calling upon them, we're calling upon Allah via them. So we're not worshipping them, it's not shirk. That's what they say. So they say, therefore, you cannot call this shirk. This man in the grave, they'll say to you, was a pious man, wali from the awliya of Allah. He was a wali from the awliya of Allah. So now we're just coming here, making dua, so that he, the great wali of Allah, will be able to take our dua, and it will have more chance of being answered. That is what they'll say. They'll say, how can you call this shirk? How can you compare us to the mushrikeen at the time of the Prophet they used to call upon idols and things. That's what they'll say to you. They'll say, this is not an idol. Wali from the awliya of Allah. Tell them actually exactly the same thing used to happen at the time of the Prophet Some of the idols they had were dead people in graves. That was some of their idols. Allah, for example, one of their biggest idols, 
It is explained by many scholars, that was a pious righteous man who was died. And his grave, they made it into a shrine, and that was a lot. So even in those days, they used to call upon the pious and the righteous, seeking intercession. So that is something impermissible, and it is something which is shirk. But they will try and claim to you that we do not call this shirk, it is not shirk, we are only making them a means between us, Allah, an intermediary between us and Allah, and we're not calling upon them like the mushrikeen used to call upon those uh, individuals, the idols and the, the stars and the moons, we're not calling upon anything like that, these are pious awliya of Allah, but you tell them, even if that's what you claim, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, those mushrikeen, they used to call upon prophets and messengers and pious and righteous and awliya as they claimed. They used to do the exact same thing. And it is haram to do that. Your dua is made directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your dua is made directly calling upon your Lord. Allah mentions in the Quran, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبًا if my servant asks you about me, then indeed I am close. I answer the call of the one who calls upon me. Make the dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you do not make the dua via others, via the dead in the graves who cannot hear you anyway. The dead in the graves who cannot hear you anyway and they will not hear you. And you call upon them. Where is your proof that they even hear your dua? They do not hear your dua. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned, these types of people who go to the graves, and they make dua at the graves, it is narrated absolutely that this used to happen. When they used to go to the graves of these so-called awliya, as they say, and they may not have been from the awliya of Allah, they may have been from the worst innovators. But according to them, they are awliya of Allah. So they go to the graves of these great awliya, as they claim. And they start making dua, asking them, we're in need, take our dua to Allah, this, that, the other. It's mentioned by Shaykh al-Islam that those awliya in the graves, their spirits used to rise out of the graves. It used to occur. It used to occur. Their spirits used to rise up out of the graves, looking like exactly what that man used to look like when he was alive. Same appearance. So these people now used to see these spirits coming out looking exactly like that great wali, that great imam that they used to have who died now. So they think it's his spirit, it is him. And they start asking him. And that spirit says, yes, we'll do this for you, we'll do that for you. We are the awliya of Allah, this, that, the other. We can take care of your needs for you. Ask us, ask us. So they carry on doing it. Who are those? What are those spirits in reality? Jinn. The jinn. The shayateen from the jinn. Devils from the jinn. They see these people coming to the graves. They take the opportunity and make them into even more shirk. Rising out of the graves in the same appearance as that person in the grave. So everybody thinks it's him. It's the imam who used to be with us. The great imam. It's him. Coming out in his appearance, in his shape. And then they make even more dua and this, that, the other, calling upon them, asking them. And in reality, that is a jinni, a shaitan from the jinn, causing them to become even more misguided, believing that the awliya rise up out of their graves and answer their duas. And it is the shayateen rising up and doing that to confuse them and make them more misguided and more misguided. So this type of thing is something which is clearly shirk also.
Now, once we have mentioned those things, there's a side point we want to discuss here. We've been talking about major shirk and minor shirk, major kufr, minor kufr, major type exits you from Islam, minor type, not necessarily. Kufr and shirk, are they the same thing? Kufr, shirk, those two words that you hear. Are kufr and shirk one and the same thing? Or are they two different things? Huh? Two what? Two different things? Okay. Anybody else? I think I agree. Alright. So, there are some scholars who say that kufr and shirk is just the same thing. Two words that mean the same thing. Some scholars say that. Some scholars say kufr and shirk, both are just the same thing. They are both the same thing. So when you see the word shirk being mentioned, then you can assume the meaning of that is shirk and kufr. It's all the same thing. Or when you see the word kufr being mentioned, you can assume it's talking about kufr, shirk, the same thing. If you see either the word kufr somewhere, or the word shirk somewhere, you can assume it's all one and the same thing, kufr, shirk. All the same thing. That's what some scholars say. However, some say that there is some difference. وَإِذَا أُطْلِقَ فِي النص اسم الكفر فهو يشمل معنى الشرك ومعنى الكفر فإذا اجتمعا كان للشرك معنى وكان للكفر معنى فيكون الشرك وما فيه معنى التشريك ويكون الكفر ما يحصل به الخروج من الملة بدون أن يكون فيه معنى التشريك فهما لفظان إذا اجتمعا افترقا وإذا افترقا اجتمعا وعلى هذا فإن الاستدلال بما ورد فيه لفظ الكفر على الشرك سائغ Some of the scholars have explained that when you see the word kufr by itself, then it by default includes the word shirk in it. When you see the word shirk by itself, it by default includes the meaning of kufr in it. But what if you see the words kufr and shirk being mentioned together in a sentence? Whoever commits kufr and shirk. Now they can't possibly be exactly the same thing because then you're just repeating yourself. So now there must be a slight difference between them. If both of them are mentioned together, together, kufr and shirk, if they meant exactly the same as each other, that means you're just repeating yourself. So that means there must be some slight difference. Because you do see these words mentioned together often. It wouldn't be the case that it's just repetition for the sake of repetition. They must be being mentioned together because there must be some slight difference between them. So what is that slight difference between them? Shirk indicates that you are associating partners along with Allah. Shirk, tashriq. You are associating partners alongside Allah. Kufr is more about somebody 
exiting from Islam. Disbelief. Disbelief. Kufr is meaning of disbelief. Shirk meaning of associating partners. So often when you associate partners and commit shirk, you have committed therefore kufr. And if you've committed kufr, it's often the case you have committed shirk. Shirk equals kufr often then. And if you've committed kufr, it's because you've committed shirk. So often there is a lot of overlap. But when you talk about the meanings individually, shirk is to associate partners with Allah, and kufr is exiting from the fold of Islam. Or that which causes a person to exit from the fold of Islam. The other thing to mention when we talk about this first couple of categories, which is shirk as a nullifier of Islam, it doesn't have to be physical actions alone. You may think shirk that exits a person from Islam is somebody bowing down to a grave, or somebody slaughtering to a grave like we said, or somebody going and making dua at a grave. They are physical actions. Shirk, kufr, doesn't have to be physical actions it could be, or and it doesn't have to be just aqidah. Somebody believes some false aqidah in others besides Allah, trust in others besides Allah, etc. It can even just be statements you make upon your tongue. Statements of kufr that can exit a person from the fold of Islam. وَهَذَا الْمَوْضِعِ اِرْتَبَطَ فِيهِ الْقَوْلِ أَوْ الْفَعْلِ بِالْاِعْتِقَادِ لِذَلِكَ نَقُولُ لَا يَكْفُرْ قَائِلْ ذَلِكَ الْكُفْرًا أكبر مخرجا من الملة إلا إذا اعتقد ما يقتضي الكفر الأكبر. So when somebody says something upon their tongue, it doesn't necessitate they've committed kufr unless we can, or unless it has some false aqidah attached to it as well. But the point being, shirk and kufr can occur within the heart in aqidah. It can occur upon statements of your tongue, and it can occur upon physical actions you're doing with your limbs. So. That's why some scholars, they may say that kufr and shirk are just one and the same thing. Uh, uh, if the words kufr and shirk are mentioned separately, they just include each other. But if they mention together, each one has a slightly independent meaning to it. وَمِنَ الْعُلَمَاءِ مَنْ ذَهَبَ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ الشِّرْكَ غَيْرَ الْكُفْرِ وعلى هذا القول لا يصح أن يستدل في موضوع الشرك بآية أو حديث وردت فيه كلمة كفر. There are another group of scholars though who say that kufr and shirk are just two different things altogether. Some scholars say altogether kufr and shirk are two different things. Uh, والقول الأول هو الوجيه إن شاء الله. But what seems to be the correct understanding is the first opinion of the scholars that really kufr and shirk are very similar. They are very similar. When you see one of them, it means both things, kufr and shirk. And when you mention them both together, they have a slightly independent meaning to them. Shirk, association of partners, kufr, what exits you from Islam. But overall, they overlap and they are very similar, kufr and shirk. And that what appears to be the case, uh, which is correct. فَالْقَوْلُ الْأَوَّلْ أَنَّ كَلِمَةْ شِرْكَ بِمَعْنَ كَلِمَةْ كُفْرْ عِنْدَ مَجِئِهَا عَلَى الْإِنْفَرَادِ وكلمة كفر بمعنى كلمة شرك عند مجيئها على انفراد فإن اجتمعتا فإن كلمة الكفر وكلمة الشرك تكون كل منهم بمعنى 
وتختص كلمة الشرك بما فيه تشريك لغير الله مع الله وتختص كلمة الكفر بغير ذلك هذا القول هو الوجيه فإن قيل الشرك الخفي الرياء من الشرك الأكبر أو من الشرك الأصغر سنادى الشيخ يجيب زن اكزامبل أبوت شوينغ أوف شوينغ أوف is a type of شرك شوينغ أوف is a type of شرك Why is it a type of shirk? Because now you're doing your worship and your actions not sincerely for the sake of Allah, but for people who are watching you so you can get praise from them. So now you are associating those people in your worship. You're not doing your worship for Allah alone. You're doing it showing off. Somebody's watching you, you do it nice. So it's like you're associating them with your worship now instead of purely for Allah. So it's a type of shirk. Is it major shirk or minor shirk? Minor shirk. So showing off, it is also known as a concealed type of shirk. Why is it a concealed type of shirk? Because you don't know if a person is showing off or not. Somebody's praying in the mosque, is he sincere in his heart? Or is he really doing it because he knows you are watching him and he's doing it to impress you? How do you know? You don't know. That's in his heart. So it is concealed. It is hidden shirk. Uh, however, it is typically minor shirk. It could maybe end up being in major shirk. It could end up being in major shirk. But typically it is of minor shirk. Uh, a bit of showing off if a person fell into it, it would be considered minor shirk. Uh, for example, you're praying in the middle of the prayer, somebody walks in, so you start making it a bit more beautiful with them in mind. So a bit of showing off occurs with you. That's minor shirk. It's a sin. Uh, but if it was a lot of showing off, meaning your whole worship is being done just for the people. You're not even thinking about Allah, reward, sincerity. You're doing it for the people. Now it can end up as major shirk. Your whole worship is being done for others besides Allah. So that is something very dangerous too, this issue of showing off. That's what we'll conclude for today then. Any questions on that up to there? We've now mentioned the first act which is shirk as a nullifier of Islam. And then now the shaykh is talking about some subcategories and types of it. The second uh, point he made as a specific action that is a nullifier of Islam is calling upon others besides Allah, seeking intercession, intermediaries from others besides Allah. They are the first two points that he makes. So we'll conclude upon that for today then. Inshallah ta'ala will carry on in two weeks now. Next week is off. Next week is going to be off. There's a big conference in, in uh, Cardiff. In Cardiff, there's going to be a big conference. Some uh, speakers from America are coming as well. Uh, Hassan al-Sumari, Musa Richardson. So uh, if anybody can attend next week, you should try and make an effort to go to Cardiff for one day or two days, however long you can go for. Uh, so this will be off. Inshallah, we'll carry on here in two weeks' time, normal time, 7 p.m. Inshallah ta'ala. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. That's okay because that one, the simple rule is, if you have been told something in the Quran and the Sunnah, then that's out. That's okay. That one is in the sunnah. Start your dua, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. 
you're starting your dua in that way with prayers upon the Prophet ﷺ, there is no problem in that one because that is in the sunnah. It tells you to do that one. And that's like, there are some types of wasila which are in the sunnah you can do. Like with your righteous actions. Those people who got stuck in the cave and the rock came in front of them. That story about the people of the cave. How did they do their dua? One of them said, I had a chance to commit fornication, but I feared you and I didn't do it. And he makes dua upon that. Another one says about the righteousness to his parents. They were using those examples as a wasila for their dua to be answered. Their righteous actions, but they were calling upon Allah direct everything. Those types of things are okay. So the things which are in the sunnah like that is okay. But all of this, going to the graves and the awliya and via other people, all of that type of wasila, via angels, prophets, everything else, that is all false. Asking a light person for a dua. That's okay. If uh, somebody uh, 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 righteous, you say to make dua for me, that is allowed. It's not something you should make a habit of. You should make dua for yourself, do righteous actions, make dua, get up in the last third of the night. You shouldn't make a habit of going to people, the imam and the righteous people who you think are righteous, always saying to them, you make dua for me, you make dua for me. You should do it yourself, sort yourself out, make dua, worship, etc. But to do that, it's not haram. You can say to somebody, remember me in your duas, make dua for me, that is allowed. Alright, we'll stop there and we'll carry on in two weeks then inshallah.